Whether you're eating in or dining out, get rewarded. How? With the Marvel MasterCard. Learn more at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. Earn 3% cash back on dining when you use your Marvel MasterCard at all of your favorite restaurants. You earn 1% cash back on all your other purchases too. With cash back paid as a statement credit, there's no limit to what you can earn, all with no annual fee. Marvelites will love this. You'll also get access to over 25,000 digital comics in the Marvel Universe with a free three-month subscription to Marvel Unlimited. Choose your card from one of six designs and start earning today. Terms and conditions apply. Visit marvelmastercard.com twim to learn more and apply now. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 427. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink of the year 2020, Lorraine Sink. Whoa, you've got spinning gears and and worrying motors. Yeah, it's like strangely a really 90s kind of future. (laughs) But we're in the future now. We did it. Everybody, congratulate yourselves for being here in the year 2020. It's taken us so long. 2020, we can finally all see clearly. Oh, boy. Uh, He, if you're just joining us uh, this week in Marvel, we're going to talk about all the new stuff that's happening at Marvel. And that's a lot, whether it's new comic books, new movies, TV shows, games, toys, news, fun stuff, all the good stuff happening across our many Marvel multiverses. And because it is the year 2020, we are no longer celebrating Marvel's 80th anniversary all year long because the year is now over. But if you're looking for all kinds of history content based on any arbitrary anniversary year, sorry, bye. Get out. (laughs) No, just kidding. It's fine. We're we're still here for you. We still love you. And we're still going to be giving you so much amazing stuff here in the new year. In fact, we're going to be exploring alternate universes for the Marvel multiverse all year long. Some in big ways, some in smaller ways, and we're actually going to kick that off later in this episode. Yeah, you're welcome. Get into it. So, um, you know, Disney Plus is the streaming service that has tons of content from Marvel and many other cool brands. This week, we had some new stuff from Marvel added to Disney Plus, including season two of Marvel Spider-Man animated series, Marvel Rising Secret Warriors Battle of the Bands, Marvel Superhero Adventures The Shorts seasons two and three, but... Most importantly, grandiosely, magically, we have both seasons of Superhero Squad show now on Disney+. Plus. Can I get a fwee, fwee, fwee? Fwee, fwee, fwee! So, this is really exciting, actually. It, honestly, this is one of the first things I searched for when I got the service and it wasn't up yet. So now I'm very excited. Superhero Squad show is like part kid show, but something super fun for adults and parents. There's like little winking nods. Yeah, like it's one of those kinds of shows, like if you were to watch it with your little ones, you would be like, oh, I see what they did there. Yeah, there's jokes. You're like, huh, I like that. And it's got an amazing cast. Of course, Modoc is one of the main characters in the show, and he's voiced by Tom Kenny, a.k.a. SpongeBob, the voice of SpongeBob. Then you start digging into all the other characters. How about Mark Hamill as Chathan? 
How random, and I love it. Right? Trisha Helfer as Sif. James Marsters as Mr. Fantastic. Sean Ashmore as Iceman. He played Iceman in, in the, the movies, movie. which is so fun. John Barrowman as The Stranger. George Takai as friggin' Galactus. That's rad. Oh, my. Jane Lynch as Nebula. LeVar Burton as War Machine. Robert England as Dormammu. That is, like, the most inspired casting. Uh, Lena Headey as Black Widow. And this is before... This is well before Game of Thrones. Yeah. Ray Stevenson as the Punisher, which is one of my favorite things because he also played the Punisher in the... (gasps) R-rated Punisher Warzone film, which is one of my favorite movies. And now he's voicing the Punisher in a kid's show. So good. Jim Parsons as Nightmare. And incredibly, Adam West as Nighthawk. That is so perfect. I can't handle it. There's so many more. This show is magical. Go stream it. The football seasons are up there. Plus, you you can pick it out of a lineup because they're all like cute little little chubby, super deformed. Some would say almost chibi-like. But yeah, yeah, like chibiness. They're mm-hmm, super cutie-cute mm-hmm. pies. But also today, we're going to be talking about Marvel's Runaways with writer and co-executive producer Quentin Peoples, about the twists and turns of the brand new third season of the show. Plus, he's a big comic book fan. Uh, he writes comic books. And he's just like a big sweetheart. Also, loves Mickey Mouse, like huh. a lot. Whoa. Very excited for this conversation. But that's going to be a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. That's right, because uh, we've got more to talk about. And part of that is that we are going to be talking about Morgan Le Fay. Morgan Le Fay, of course, is part of season three of Marvel's Runaways, played by the incredible actress Elizabeth Hurley, being super magical. And uh, so we thought we'd give you a little chatty chat about Morgan Le Fay. Super excited for this one. Lorraine, you did a ton of work putting this together uh, with the help of Persia and Zach, our amazing producers. There's some really fun twists and turns. And Morgan is... She's got crazy history. Yeah. Let's explain who she is. All right. So Morgan Le Fay, of course, is a very badass supervillain that only appears from time to time because she lives in the past. Not emotionally, but quite literally lives in the past. However, she still manages to be a major influence on heroes and villains in the future, like Doctor Doom and Spider-Woman. We'll talk about that. Mm Mm-hmm. It's important also to know she is extremely magical. So she's a half fairy magic sorceress. Love it. A sea princess. Love it. She loves Renfair. Who doesn't? Yeah. She really does a little smattering of everything. And her tale is really rooted in classical storytelling. Morgan, of course, is the same enchantress, Morgan Le Fay, from Arthurian tales. Oh, you mean Arthurian tales? Yeah, that kind of. Right? Like that? Yeah, like okay. that kind. Exactly. Sure. But of course, with its own Marvel twist, not unlike somebody like Hercules or Thor. So. Yeah. It, it, it right? is essentially the same exact type of thing. And that's mm-hmm. what the beauty of, you know, our stories are. They can take these myths and legendary characters and take a completely different tact with them and they become their own. Yeah, in Arthurian tales, she's kind of like almost a protector in a lot of the stories. In these, (laughs) well, not as much. Uh, She really oozes power and she's all about her freedom, largely because she's locked up a lot. But she also will like use her feminine wiles to entrance men and uh, take what she wants from them. Um, Also, you might hear Morgan called Morgana or Morgane or Vivian Morgan. Um, But whatever you call her, Morgan Le Fay is just very insanely magical. So on top of her sort of fairy magic or being a quote unquote sea princess. What is that? Um, It's not really clearly defined in the universe, but essentially she lays claim to the sea because she was a sea princess. I love it. Of Avalon. Has she ever made out with Namor? 
She fought Namor. But then they made out. After the comic ends, I'm fairly certain that's what happens. They're like, who has a deeper V? No, me. No, me. Oh, my God. Battle of the deep Vs. Actually, speaking of what she wears, if you're not familiar with Morgan, she does wear a dress a lot like J-Lo's classic Versace dress. Uh, Deep V. Deep, deep V. The deepest of Vs. Like? A deep CV. Uh, And she's got kind of like reddish, blackish hair. And she has a bunch of enemies that are sort of classic enemies that you would think of from the days of Arthur, like King Arthur, Merlin, the Black Knight, as well as Scarlet Witch, Spider-Woman, and Iron Man. So let's get into her origins. This is actually uh, her very first appearance was in Black Knight number 1 in 1955 by Stan Lee and Joe Manili. She's in the first five issues here and there. She's seemingly Mordred's lover. Mordred is the enemy of Black Knight, the enemy of Arthur. He wants to supplant Arthur and take over the throne. Black Knight thwarts him. And Morgan is just like, going to be his future queen, except for in Arthurian tales, she's his aunt. So eventually that gets sorted out in the comics. Well, also in some stories... He's her son, and sometimes they are also again then lovers, and also sometimes they go back to the nephew-auntie sort of relationship. So it's It's complicated. Sure. It's very complicated. But let's talk a little bit about Black Knight. Ryan, who is Black Knight for anyone who doesn't know? Uh, Black Knight is, you know, he started out as an Arthurian knight and sort of to protect, but he, uh, the Black Knight's most, like, important aspect is the the ebony blade this magical blade that gets passed down we've seen good black knights bad black knights they've been villains in the marvel universe they've been heroes in the marvel universe sort of black knight has been part of the avenger story for many many years which continues to tie morgana or morgan back to the avengers in more modern books but back in the day it was sir percy yeah i do love this storyline where he essentially Merlin asked him to pretend to be a dandy who refused to fight so no one would suspect him of being Black Knight. So it's always like this crazy fight would happen with Black Knight and they'd be like, where are you, Percy? He's like, I was practicing the loot. (laughs) It's very silly. It's so good. Uh, So I'm going to take you to that Namor story, as promised. Namor, the Submariner, number 62 from 1996 by Glenn Hurdling and Jeff Isherwood. And it gives us a very long, very detailed backstory, but it is kind of her most complete backstory that I found in comics. Which is also kind of a bummer because we don't have this on Marvel Unlimited. We don't. um, Some of these we will have on Marvel Unlimited for you to read. Some of them we won't. It's just... She's so varied. It's it's not like a giant single run that we would have collected. Consider this like a little special tidbit that you can't get on Marvel Unlimited, so you can only get here. This story, first of all, cracks me up because it's called Beware the Tides of March, but it's March 20th, which is not even the Ides of March. (laughs) So, okay, we're doing our best. We learned that Morgan was born as a sea princess of Avalon to a woman named Igraine who married a man who was part of a sacred clan, basically an order of magical priests, and her father was the high priest in this magical order. So this other young magician named Mirrodin is a hotshot in the sacred clan. He goes to the high priest and he says, I am foretelling that there is going to be a catastrophe where we live. The high priest says, you have to save my daughter, Igraine. So the young magician takes away Igraine. She brings her daughter, Morgan, with her. And the three of them set sail. They leave the husband to die. Sorry, husband. Oh, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. 
They head off into the ocean and a volcano swallows the island. When they land, they go hang out in the Isle of Britain where that young priest takes the name Merlin instead of Meriden. Yet where we're going here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he arranges for Morgan's mother to get married to this jerk named uh, the Duke of Tin Islands. He was a big, broody, jerky guy. I want to be the Duke of Tin Islands. You're not going to want to in a minute because he gets killed by a young knight named Uther Pendragon. He slayed the Duke and he took Igraine as his wife. And they went on to bear another son named King Arthur of Pendragon or of Camelot, however you look at it. But so then Morgan had this half-brother. Which is wild. You have this... This like really intense family thing mm-hmm. happening right from her childhood, and that causes a little bit of you know some some chafing, I would imagine. Yeah. Also, it must stink to be like the high princess. Essentially, she's like the firstborn royal blood of her lineage, and then her mom gets remarried, and suddenly she's got a brother who's the king now, <sighs> which is straight up annoying. But uh, Morgan grew up. And then eventually, once she was fully grown, she went to Erin Island to study with Merlin. And in return, she was like, I'm going to be your lover and I love you and you're going to teach me magic, which is also kind of weird because he's a lot older yeah, than there's her. Yeah, there's like, what, four, 30, 40 odd years difference? And she's like, eh, boy. Although I think he's supposed to be like a teenager when he takes them away. So she, he's probably like 10, 15 years old. Okay. Yeah. Morgan is, I think, 14 or 15 when they take her on the boat. Oh, okay. So it's a I was little imagining less... her as like five. No, she's like a young teenager. Okay, got it. It's not too creepy. Sure. It's just a little weird. Um, she basically is like, no, trust me. I love you. Take me and teach me magic. He does. And then she, of course, is like, no, I'm evil. <laughs> I'm going to use this to crush my brother and gain power. So Merlin locks her in the dungeon. But that's not really a problem for Morgan so much because she can project herself astrally sort of in the spirit plane. You know she's in the spirit plane because she's got like kind of a whitish form with like a lot of dots as the outer lining. Sure. But this allows her to project into future timelines and to try to escape her physical prison in different varied ways. So in this particular Namor story, she takes over the body of a lady scientist, Vivian Morgan, and uh, she's like, I'm a sea princess. Namor, I'm coming for your sea, (laughs) your sea kingdom. Yeah. And then they're just like, my V is deeper. No, my V is deeper. And then they make out? Kind of. Okay. Not at all. Oh. Um, But this is kind of an important common thread in Morgan Le Fay's stories. Often she is in trouble and in this case, you know, imprisoned by Merlin. But she astrally projects herself to other times and timelines, searching out forms that she can use as a a body. So she's either like, hey, I'm going to jump in your body and take over. Or she's sometimes astrally there or sometimes it's her actual body because she breaks free. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things. But also she's always coming from the past and you never know which Morgan you're going to get. And this one, this actually sets up a lot of like interesting and honestly a little bit confusing <laughs> yeah. elements around her. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to follow her continuity because it doesn't match up with Marvel continuity in any way, shape or form. But when Morgan's physical body does finally die, she does go chill out in the astral plane and then she just keeps body snatching. So, you know, you really, you never know what you're going to get. And so she is truly eons old. She yeah. basically will live forever. Yeah. Even when she dies, she finds a way to come back. A hundred percent. We'll talk about this storyline a little bit more in context, but there is literally a point in her history where she's fighting the the 
Dark Avengers and Sentry comes up and rips her whole head off. And then she's just like, boop, I'm back. She like pops through a little portal and she's like, you can't kill me because if I die, I just come back from a different point in the timeline. She's essentially unkillable. But what's, you know, thinking about this, she's got so many different possibilities and timelines. Let's go into some of her history. And I mean, we're, let's just jump around a little bit because there's so many cool stories. Yeah, I think that is perfect. So Spider-Woman became the object of her unaffection, uh, affliction. Yeah, Ooh. I like that. Um, so Morgan was reintroduced in 1978 Spider-Woman run. Uh, she's in the first couple of issues. And then throughout that series, every once in a while, she'll she'll pop up with art by Carmine Infantino, written by David Cockrum. Uh, Spider-Woman ends up going to London. So all of these stories are taking place there. And Morgan loves to be in England because she's connected to the Camelot Castle and all of that. Hello, Morgan. How are you today? Exactly. <laughs> so... What happens is there is, I love this guy's name, Slapper Struthers. Ooh. His name is Slapper, which I, I think is something in, in British talk. Get at me, Brits. Yeah, it, we got a bunch of listeners uh, from across the pond. Let us know what Slapper means. But basically, he's a jerk. He comes across the Excalibur blade that Morgan forged to take down her brother's Excalibur blade. And she takes over the body of Slapper Struthers, turns him into a knight, who will then free her to get into the material plane. Of course, Spider-Woman is like, who's this guy breaking into a museum? I'm going to stop him. And then Morgan's like, who dis? I'm going to fight her. <laughs> Uh-oh. So that's how that goes down. Um, yeah, you don't want to cross Morgan, especially no. when you're in, in London or England or anywhere in, in the world uh, forever or time. Yeah. And then in Avengers, around 240 to 241 by Roger Stern, Anne Nascenti, and Al Milgram, Morgan Le Fay is plotting her revenge again on Spider-Woman. So this really kicks off in Avengers number 187 by Mark Grinwald, Steve Grant, and David McLeany with art by John Byrne. But it also carries all the way into Avengers 240, 241. So it kicks off um, that we see in flashback that Morgan has gotten the Darkhold, which is a magical tome full of all of the evil magic and spells sort of in the Marvel Universe, and has welcomed the Dark Elder God Chthon and then locked him inside of Wondergore Mountain so that she can essentially like siphon off his power. That's bad juju, no matter who you are. Yeah, like, can you imagine basically screwing over a demon? Yep. <laughs> so she has a student named Magnus, who looks like a kind of Friar Tuck fella, and he sees what she's doing. They contain Shathon. He takes the dark hold, locks it away in a tower that if Morgan ever, she can enter, but she may never leave if she enters that because she will die. Mm. Then around 240, that is when we revisit Jessica Drew, who's hanging out with the Avengers, but she gets locked outside of her body in the astral plane by Morgan Le Fay. Morgan is like, you know what would be a great body to inhabit? Jessica Drew. She's got powers. Yeah, why not? So she good fashion sense, cool powers. Yeah, yeah, she's got that little mask situation. Mm -hmm. So fun. She locks her out of her body, and Magnus is still hanging out, kind of caring for Wondergore Mountain in the astral plane. Of course, Morgan Le Fay has killed him because that's what you do if somebody messes with you. If you're Morgan Le Fay, sure. But he's trying to help out Jessica Drew. Eventually, he makes this like ultimate sacrifice and pretty much dies in the astral plane, protecting Jessica Drew. 
and she is able to go back to her body. The Avengers also are fighting in the astral plane, which is bananas. But she eventually, they win, they beat Morgan, she returns to her body, and she's depowered for quite a while. Morgan is. Uh, or Jessica. Jessica Drew is, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Jessica Drew is depowered for quite a while in her Spider-Woman form. But she's happy, she's healthy, and she's just glad that she survived the fight. Right. So what? Ha- where's Morgan at this point? So Morgan got her butt beat, and mm-hmm. she's kind of, at this point, she has essentially died. But the next time we see her, we have Dr. Doom going back in time to Morgan Le Fay's timeline. This is the beginning of the Doom Daddy. Uh, so it's Iron Man number 150 by David McElhinney and Bob Layton with uh, John Romita Jr., on art, uh, Doom travels back in time to Camelot to enlist Morgan Le Fay to help him rescue his mother from hell. Straight I mean, up, this is, and this is kind of like one of those things where you're like, this is why we give Doom his own stories. Yeah. Because he, you're like, yeah, wouldn't you save your mom from hell if you could? Yeah, he's like, uh, all right, how many amazingly powerful magicians do I know? Morgan Le Fay, cool, gonna call her up through time. Yeah, I'm gonna hop on my little time platform, I'm gonna jet over there, except for... Iron Man and him are fighting and follows him. So there you go. But Morgan does agree. I will help you if you help me kill stupid King Arthur, who's causing me such problems so I can finally be the queen that I deserve to be. So she helps him raise an army of the undead so that he can go, you know, fight Arthur. In the end, Iron Man and King Arthur end up basically being like, oh, no, we're going to get stuck in this time. You want to just like call a truce so that we can escape and get back to our time? And they're like, okay, so they they make a truce and they return. And Morgan's like, this is some BS. Yeah. Um, but back to Morgan and Doom. Uh, this is maybe my favorite. Around 2008 in Mighty Avengers 9 through 11 by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley with Marco Dercevic. Morgan Le Fay is shacking up with Doom and asks him, would you please bring me a gift from the future, please? And he's like, yeah, that's going to ruin everything. I've seen movies. If I bring something from the future, you're going to mess everything up. Her? No. Me? Never. But this also, just shout out on this art. It's sick. It's so cool. Because when you see Morgan Le Fay's timeline, it's like a renaissance painting and when you see the 60s art it's like dot art yeah it's bagley doing that the like the the 60s style yeah. art but marco man marco jacevic hasn't done a ton of work for us recently but in this time period he was Insane. killing it yeah. he actually did the big mural that used to mm-hmm. be uh at marvel headquarters so if you see a picture of celebrities at marvel for like the last decade they're probably standing in front of a marco piece yeah, it's, the art is so cool. So Doom goes, he hops back through the timelines. But again, he's trying to do this thing where he's like trying to raise an army, fight the Avengers. And then he doesn't come back because the Avengers beat him. And Morgan's like... She imagine, got ghosted. Yeah, she got ghosted. And she's freaking pissed. Yeah. And she like does not let this go because she basically shows up right after that in Dark Avengers number one by Brian Michael Bendis. Once again, this time with art by Mike Diodato, Marco Durchevic, and Gabrielle Del Otto. Um, so she is now pissed off. She got ghosted and she's out for doom. She goes back and she's like, I'm going to kill him as a child. And then she's like, wait, but he won't know why I'm killing him. That's not good enough. I'm going to kill him better. So <laughs> she ends up going to fight Doom 
At this time, Norman Osborn is in charge of the Dark Avengers. He sends the Dark Avengers to help Doom out because they're a little shady. And this is the point when Sentry rips her head off. In Sentry style, we were just talking about this. Sentry loves to rip somebody in half. This is one of those moments. It is super gruesome. And then she literally is just like, yo, I'm back. You can't kill me. What up? Mm -hmm. It's great. So Doom and Iron Patriot actually go into the past and they... pick her up. They're like, we're not doing this with you popping back up every two seconds. Iron Patriot is Norman Osborn, Is right? Norman Osborn, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. So they go into the past, they pick her up, and they drop her in 1 million BC, and they're like, girl, bye. That is literally the worst way to get dumped wow. in 1 million BC. But don't worry, that's hardly the end of Doom and Morgan Le Fay. In Avengers World in 2014 by Nick Spencer, Jonathan Hickman, and Stefano Caselli, Morgan is freed by her daughter, who is Carolyn Le Fay, who is the daughter of Doom and Morgan. When in the time stream did that happen? We don't know. I need a comic about that time period. Yeah, it's hard to say because, like, when was it? Yeah. When was it? We we don't know. I don't know. Maybe Doom knows. Maybe. But she ends up taking over a dead city in Italy. And then Carolyn helps out her mom by waging war later on with the Fearless Defenders. But Carolyn Le Fay becomes kind of her mom's conduit, being the sort of more modern human side of Morgan. Yeah. The City of the Dead is actually what the, um, the sitcom Caroline and the City is based on. Yeah, yeah. That's a lesser known fact. Mm-hmm. And then, again, we would see Morgan not long later in Weird World. Uh, It was spinning out of the Secret Wars Weird World where she was fighting that big barbarian dude named Arkhan. And then they witnessed this plane crash. And that goes into a second series, which is then by Sam Humphreys and continued art by Mike Del Mundo. If you don't know Mike's work, also, it's gorgeous. It's very painterly. There's no line work. It's almost like a watercolor masterpiece. And it is his art is perfect for Weird World because Weird World is this weird, this like side dimension that physics and and, and reality can warp, and it's full of creatures and monsters and magic and messed up stuff. And, you know, people can get there from the Marvel universe, but it's tough to get out. And there's, it's kind of a place full of any possibility. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely like a big fantasia of a place. Ooh, I love that movie. (laughs) Yeah. With the hippos in the ballet costumes. Mm Mm-hmm. But in this storyline, an Earth woman named Rebecca or Becca is on her way to leave her mom's ashes in Mexico when her plane crashes in, blam, 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 weird world. So there she gets caught up in a bunch of crazy stories. But essentially, the crux of it is that Morgan Le Fay is queen there. She met these two women, Nakia and Elizabeth, who fought for 60 years. Morgan honed her magic while in the Weird World and became very close with these two women. And they ascended the ranks to take over Weird World. And this story is is part of that whole, like, Morgan Le Fay story is sort of potential coming from anywhere. So it's not like we had a lead in that Mm -hmm. said, oh, this is how she conquered Weird World. This is how she got there. It's just one of those things because she's all powerful. She she could conquer it. We don't have that story. You just like come in media res where she is there as queen. Yeah. And she basically she talks a little bit about how weird world is so weird that she couldn't orient her magic. Like she couldn't just be like snap. Here it is. She had to kind of like figure out her magic in this realm. So Elizabeth, her friend who she has been close with for 60 years is now 
she's dying. And the crux of this is that she needs this special kind of seed that will be able to save Elizabeth's life. However, this girl who magically crash landed is now in possession of it and Morgan's not having that. She doesn't want to kill this little girl, but she's like, I care more about my friend. But it gives her some really nice depth because Morgan is usually so power hungry and she wants so much to get out and get revenge. And she's been so stalwarted by everything that's happened to her. This is a moment where she actually gets to have some heart and soul. Yeah. Yeah, this is cool. And I think she she's even been still ruling real world up until recently. We saw in the pages of uh, Weapon H and, and other stories. So she's really cool. Yeah, she finally got a kingdom. Yay! What a happy ending. Congrats, girl. Yeah. All she wanted was a kingdom of her own, and she got it. Um, So that, you know, ties up a lot of the main stories. I know recently there was a really fun story I wanted to make sure Mm -hmm. we included, which was in the Marvel Rising series. There was like a six-issue storyline where Morgan takes over and controls a lot of people. There's a gnarly river spirit of, like, it's the Hudson River spirit, which... It's just like a boot and a tin can. and, and it's, it's just a lot of trash. <laughs> and it's a, actually super fun, super cute. Uh, she, Morgan, battles a ton of young heroes, including Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales and Inferno. Uh, all that stuff is on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, you should check it out. But that's Morgan Le Fay. And if you watch Marvel's Runaway Season 3, you're going to get a lot more Morgan. But... Earlier this episode, we talked about how we're going to explore alternate universes throughout the year on This Week in Marvel. So we will be doing some big explorations of some alternate universes or some little dives into universes that tie into our big talks, like today. Ooh. Yeah. The amazing team at Marvel Comics, they have this massive compendium of Marvel universes. Lorraine and I were freaking out about it. We could not believe this existed. This document is my favorite thing. And, uh, you know, each of the universes that we've cataloged is designated with a number. Our main Marvel universe is 616. That whole system actually first began in the pages of Captain Britain by writer David Thorpe. There are thousands upon thousands of cataloged universes across the Marvel multiverse. So get ready for potentially so many cool stories. Um, but Earth 398 is uh, was featured in Avengers 1 through 3 from 1998 by Kurt Busiek and George Perez. Uh, really starts at the very end of number one, main part of number two, and a lot of number three. A whopping 39 Avengers have to work together to fight Morgan and her nephew, Mordred, in this story. Not son, not lover, nephew in this story. It's and, like a Game of Thrones universe. Yeah, you... you Spin the spin the bottle, see what happens. Uh, she is super powered up thanks to some fancy magical Asgardian items. And so what she does with all her magic maxed out, she changes all of reality. So for 616, we branch off into this reality of 398, setting herself up as queen, bending all of the Avengers and everyone else to live and bow to her in a medieval Renfair-esque setting. Plus, everyone gets... Really cool costumes and names. The Avengers are called Queen's Vengeance. Oh my God, I almost forgot the most important Tony Stark story that's ever been told. Dun, dun, dun. Because in Iron Man number 209 by Dennis Maloney and Rick Hobart, Merlin uh, casts a spell on Morgan, obviously, so she can't leave that castle. But Tony Stark goes to a Ren fair with a pretty lady, because that's how we do. And uh, he runs into Jack Russell and his sister, Lissa, gets taken over by the magic of Morgan Le Fay because Morgan's like leaving her stuff around uh, so that she gets imbued with her magic. But seeing Tony Stark 
at a Ren Fair is the greatest thing that's ever happened, potentially. I love it. Yeah, that was awesome. I'm so excited for more alternate realities throughout the year. Yeah. And you know, actually, we have another alternate reality we're going to go to. The alternate reality of Marvel's Runaways, the television show, because everything's alternate from Earth 616. Uh, We are going to be talking to the one and only Quentin Peoples about Marvel's Runaways season three. There is so much cool magic stuff that happens this season. There's like a bucket ton of amazing... Amazing, get it? Mages, right? Yeah. Amazing female magicians, including Morgan, but also Nico is, of course, an incredible sorceress, as well as a whole bunch of other ladies that are quite magical and awesome. So, what is your Marvel origin story? Oh, my Marvel origin story is Jack Kirby. I mean, that's who I wanted to be when I grew up um, from the very beginning. I came in through the Fantastic Four, really, as a kid. Uh, And then I was just crazy about Jack and everything that he did. So as an instigator of the whole Marvel Universe, that was just the flashpoint for me. That was a big bang for sure. So was there a time when you really wanted to be an artist? Oh my God, yes. My parents were literally like, you have to come out of your room now. There is sunshine outside. You can do things without a pencil. Please stop. But I was going through some stuff recently um, from my grade school years, and it's just nothing but Black Panther drawings, thing drawings on the side of all sorts of homework. It was, it was an obsession for sure. Well, there's literally nothing more Kirby-esque than being like, come outside. Because he literally used to work in the dungeon. Exactly right. Um, (laughs) And so I, you know, I thought that's just, that was the perfect life for me. And and I thought that for a long, long time. So then what was your first entry into Marvel as a professional? Well, I had finished on 11-22-63 uh, for Hulu and um, had finished that job and went to a meeting with my agents and they were running through uh, open jobs, uh, shows that were looking. And uh, the agent got to Iron Fist and I said, you have to stop right there because that's the job I want. And they were like, but we have a lot of other things on the list. And I was like, no, 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 that's the job I want. And I went home, and I still own the first 15 issues that I had bought off the newsstand. I took a photograph, and I said, send this picture to Jeff and all of those people over there and tell them that these are the original ones. I've had them since then. And um, I had a meeting like two days later, came in and met the whole crew, and, and then it was love at first sight or whatever. Well, now you're working on Marvel's Runaways, one of my all-time favorite comic books, and now getting to become a series. What happened when you first came onto the show? Well, it was interesting because I was actually shooting in New York, shooting on Iron Fist when the announcement came out about Josh and Stephanie and Runaways. And I was like, oh my God, how am I gonna get on that show? I'm already on this other thing. And then that night when I got to the hotel, there was a message waiting for me from Marvel saying, hey, you want to come and talk about Runaways when you get back to L.A.? And I was like, "Uh, yes, yes, actually, I do. So that transition happened there. I came in to talk to Josh and Stephanie, and we definitely loved the same thing about Brian's work and about those characters. And um, it was just, it was a smash hit from the get-go. So it it was just been lovely. 
Well, we've spent a lot of quality time together talking yes. about Runaways. We have. So you already know my genuine obsession with the show. Yes. Um, but we're going into season three. And at this point, we're in the safe zone. You can talk about spoilers. Yes. Um, although, while we're taping this, you have not shot the entire show. We have not. We start prepping the finale tomorrow. And so I'm really going to enjoy this last really, really big moment of season three. And it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Now, you've gotten to borrow some pretty cool toys for this season mm -hmm. uh, because you not only get to cross over with Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, you also are introducing Morgan Le Fay. As a deep fan of the comics, what is it like for you getting to use Morgan? Well, from the very beginning, we knew that we needed a bigger villain than Jonah. That's just the nature of storytelling, and we knew we wanted a female villain, and we knew we wanted a female villain from the magic side of the Marvel Universe. And so I made a list and I gave it to Jeff and the rest of Marvel and had my fingers crossed. And when they came back and said, oh, Morgan will work, I was like, oh, I was so, so happy. And she's a perfect fit for our show. And it's just brought an entirely larger Marvel feeling to the show just simply because you have a classic Marvel villain at the center of everything. So everything starts to have that magnetic pull. And she's, and again, Elizabeth Hurley's been extraordinary uh, in that role. So super lucky. And you also got to, uh, I assume you probably had to talk to Joe Pekaski to borrow his toys, yes. which are Cloak and Dagger. Yes. What was that collaboration like? You know, it was interesting because obviously we watch everybody else's shows. It's, it's all in the family and we're enjoying everything. And obviously the fans and everybody had been talking about this from the get-go. So as we came into this season and we sat down with Marvel and everybody involved, we we're like, we really want to do this. Started to communicate with Joe and talk to them about more scheduling issues because we're not on the same schedule. We knew we'd have to call people in on their vacation, which they were happy to do. They were super excited. And then we just broke the story that we wanted to break and then said, this is what we think we're gonna do. And Joe and the two actors came in, we pitched them, fingers crossed, hope they wouldn't have any problems and they didn't. Uh, they were super excited by the story we had given them. And again, there was feedback back and forth, details that we wouldn't know unless you were really deep into the show that we got from Joe. And, and that's the kind of feedback that you really need. And we enjoyed every minute of it. They're shooting this week. And, and I know the kids are having a great time. I can't wait to see it. But I'm curious for you, and full spoiler warnings ahead for anyone who has not yet to watch the show that is now streaming. Yes. What have been some of your favorite episodes or most pivotal episodes in your mind? Well, obviously the one that I got to write, which is set in the dark dimension, was clearly something that as it set itself up, I was like, oh, that's gonna be mine. I was excited for because it was really something that is a bit unusual for our show because it's not set in the regular universe. It's something that's much more psychological and frightening. And I was able to really do more of a horror style experience for our characters than we've had that opportunity to do before. And then always the pilot, the first episode where, where Morgan appears and just to have her step onto the stage, I just levitated. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. So those, those two kind of jump out from the get-go.
Well, I guess we're going to have to wait and see what happens in the season finale since you haven't actually shot it yet. You haven't shot it, but I have written it. Um, and I think, yes, there is a turn at the end of episode nine that comes back in episode 10 and pays off in a, um, I think, a really rewarding way. So I, something I always just really enjoy about talking to you is that you're like so much in the writer's room and yes. in all of the story breaking and everything. So what is it like for you now that you get to be an EP and a showrunner this season? Are you just like cherry picking what you're like, you know what, I'm going to choose that part of the story. That's going to be my episode to write. No, I think that one of the things that happens is you get caught up in the natural flow of what's going on in the planning and you're always trying to put people in their wheelhouse so that they will really do well. And then just randomly it gets to be your turn. And then you're like, oh, well, I better get on my game so because I'm up. And so there isn't really a cherry picking world as much as it is just fate sometimes pushes you into a spot and you go like, oh, I'm so happy that, that, that that's me and that this is it, so. Is there a world in which we'll ever see Victor Matcha? That's just a personal question. It may not make this cut, but I'd like to know. I would recommend that you watch episode 10, the season finale of uh, season three. I am screaming inside. <laughs> I can't believe you just dropped that on me, knowing that I can't see it until you're done shooting it. That's right. Okay. See, we, we put everybody on the hook. I can't wait. Well, that is the biggest spoiler of all. Um, thank you so much for oh, talking with you. us. Thank you. It's always a joy. Us. Yes, absolutely. And also, can I'm just going to like, I want a reading list from you. Just like yes. your, your greatest hits. Because uh, I feel like you have one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I always have one. All right. Okay. Just one. Just one. All-time favorite issue. Do you have one? All-time favorite. Of any Marvel comic or of Runaways? Oh, now I want both. Look at what you um, did. This is going to be crazy. So here's a deep dive for you, and this question is so hard. But Sentry issue one. Really? Mm-hmm. I read that book, and I was like, holy smoke. I Because no one else was talking about it, it felt like when you're a kid and you find a thing that nobody else knows about, and you're like, oh, this is great. Sentry number one, I always go back to again and again as one of those things that caught me completely by surprise. And then as far as Runaways is concerned, I'm not sure what issue number it is, but the revelation, and I know it's highly controversial, but the issue in which Alex is revealed as being the mole was like, oh, It's devastating. It is. It's full stop, oh my God. So those are two for you right off the top. Well, thank you. Um, I, I got a little extra for free. That's my favorite. Oh, happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you, Clinton. It's always so nice to see you. Big thanks to Quentin Peoples for joining us on the show. And uh, you can watch Marvel's Runaways Season 3 on Hulu. And maybe we'll have another update for you about Marvel's Runaways next week. Ooh. Yeah. Uh. Uh, it is time to get into our community section. First up, of course, we got to get into the question of the week. I want to start off our 2020 alternate universe stuff with a simple question. 
what alternate universes would you like us to talk about yeah. on This Week in Marvel? Could be your favorite. Could be one you want some like more insight into. Like we said, there are thousands of them. Some of them have only shown up like really briefly. Some of them have big, cool, sprawling stories. And there's going to be a lot to get into. I think when I talk about sprawling stories, one of my favorites is the Earth X alternate universe, something we're going to be talking about really soon. There's so many good ones. How about Earth 65? Spider-Gwen, baby. 100%. We'll do that one. Yeah. You got it. But if you have questions, answers, if you have an Earth you want us to talk about, Use the hashtag this week in Marvel. Email them to us at twimpodcast at marvel.com or send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we've got some community tweets in here answering the question What Marvel stuff are you most excited for in 2020? Joe K at Joe the Geek 02 says, Honestly, Anything that's a continuation of a series, I am freaking loving at the moment. Super freaking excited to see where Don Cates' Venom series goes into 2020. Can't wait to read more of Dan Slott's absolutely amazing Fantastic Four run. Amanda at, oh, Francis, says, To be honest, I am really excited for Iron Man 2020. I've been hoping for this series since I read about him in Avengers West Coast, so I am excited to see him brought to life and just to live near a comic shop again so that I can have a pull list. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Get your pull list on, baby. Amanda was in Japan, uh, I remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, So hopefully you get a great comic shop and set up your Marvel's pull list. All right, we've got a tweet in here from Joshua Shouse at SH0USE, who says 2020 is going to be massive. Within the first days of 2020, we get Thor number one by Don Cates that is probably going to melt everyone's face off, and Hawkeye Freefall by Matt Rosenberg that same day. Also, super excited for the new Guardians of the Galaxy run by Al Ewing. Yeah. Heck such, yeah. Such good stuff. The ultimate Brassin at Marvel and DC guy. Marvel's Avengers, Outlawed, Empire, the Nebula solo series, and the X-Men slash Fantastic Four miniseries this weekend, Marvel. Yeah. That's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. There's a lot of new comics. Yeah. Parker Luckenbach at Parker Luckin says, I'm super excited for Strange Academy and Wolverine. Yes, we're going to have a great Strange Academy interview. Yeah, I think it's coming in March. Yeah. Natasha at Tushi says, dude, my name is Natasha. Does that answer your question? I think she means she's excited for Marvel Studios Black Widow. Yeah, baby. Speaking of which, John Dixon at Big ID 1976 said, really excited for Black Widow and the Eternals, as well as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 2020 is going to be awesome. Sophia at SophiaSen55 says, The thing I'm most excited to watch is the final season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for sure. It's been so many years that's going to be so hard to say goodbye to the characters and, of course, to the beloved cast. It's going to be a bittersweet moment for me. Oh, it's been a long, a long run. Yeah. I mean, almost a decade with yeah. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And I'm really excited for this last season. It's yeah. going to be really cool. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Percy of Berlin and Zachary Goldberg. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the Deep V. Deep V's, the neckline that ends because it legally has to. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.